1: Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast where we are comparing the Browns to the Bengals and today it's Mary Kay Cabot, Doug Lee, Maurice and I talking about the offenses on both sides of the ball. So we spend some time on Baker Mayfield at the top and then we get into the receivers. We have a really long discussion on the receivers. I thought it was really interesting. So that's coming up here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. If you're not a football insider subscriber, Cleveland.com slash Browns the blue banner at the top of the page to get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day. Become one of our tech subscribers and get access to those exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash brown. Okay, that's enough for me here. Here is our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. go on our wednesday edition of the orange and brown talk podcast we continue our earning their stripes series we are going to focus on the offense today uh, between the browns and the Bengals. Uh, doug kind of wrote a piece introing this whole thing comparing the talent gaps or lack of gaps or where the browns might be better than the Bengals. that went up on tuesday uh, i wrote about receivers today it's all at cleveland.com slash so make sure you go check that out Uh, Let's get to it, though. I mean, look, if we're going to talk about the offense, we have to start with the biggest and most obvious area, and that is quarterback. We've spent plenty of time talking about Joe Burrow versus Baker Mayfield. My question here, if we're talking about the Browns and if they can be or do what the Bengals did this year, if they can do that in 2022, I think the question is actually pretty simple. Is Baker Mayfield good enough to get the Browns to the Super Bowl or be the quarterback of a Browns team in the Super Bowl. Maybe get there as too strong in 2022.
2: So I do think that's important because the question is not, and we are doing this series and these podcasts to compare the Browns to the Bengals because it's a team in the division and the state that's in the Super Bowl, and it's a fun thing to do. He doesn't have to be as good as Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow is actually making up for some things that like the Bengals don't have like an offensive line, for instance. So I I wasn't sure what question we're going to ask Dan, but as much as we want to sort of compare Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield and the two Heisman trophy winners and two number one picks, and there's a million different reasons to do that. And it's fun and valuable. I I don't think that's what he has to be. He just has to be good enough considering what the Browns are. And I don't know. I'm going to make Mary cancer. I pass. (laughs) I'm not question. I don't know.
0: Well, I just got done writing a column. As we taped this on Tuesday, I posted a column on Tuesday about how uh, the Browns defense really played Joe Burrow almost as well as anybody in the NFL in 2021. And I think that is significant because we are trying to make the point here that, you know what, if you have other things, you might not necessarily have to have quarterback play that is elite as what Joe Burrow gave you. And I do think it's somewhat significant that this Browns defense is sort of built to defend against an offense like this, a stacked offense, one with really good receivers and a really, really good quarterback. And, uh, and I think they proved that in that game, they were almost completely healthy in that game. And there still is a ways to go. Because uh, they did not have a Jeremiah Uwusu koromoa that game. And I think they showed that if you have an offense that is even, you know, a little bit better than what they were e- able to, to put forth this past year, that you're going to win some games on the strength of your defense. But the bottom line, I have to say in my mind is I do think that you have to have a quarterback play that approaches what teams are getting from the Joe Burrows and the Josh Allens and the Patrick Mahomes. And therefore the Browns have got to bring their passing game up to 2022 standards. However, they have to do it. We are not throwing Baker Mayfield overboard just yet. That's not what we're doing here, but he's got to play better and they have to have better receivers and a better passing game.
2: And they, they, they must have a better passing game but that is not only a quarterback discussion, which is, again, we're splitting hairs a little bit, Dan, but, but I, I don't think you can just, nobody would dispute. They have to throw it better, but that's Baker and beyond.
1: Right. And, and we're obviously going to get to all that stuff, but I wanted to start with Baker. And the reason I, I phrased the question like that, and the reason I came up with the question to ask it like that is, you know, look, maybe there's a world where Aaron Rodgers wants to come to Cleveland. Maybe there's a world where Russell Wilson wants to come to Cleveland, but until it happens. Okay. uh, I'll believe it when it happens, I guess is is where I'm at with that. There's an argument to be made, but who knows? So what the Browns have to ask themselves, because they're not going, they don't have Joe Burrow. They don't have Patrick Mahomes. They don't have Josh Allen. They're not going to get that guy. That, That guy's not available in the draft at least to be ready to play like that in 2022. So the Baker we saw in 2021 was good enough, or in 2020 was good enough to get them to the divisional game, but not good enough to lead them on a game-winning drive, right? Is, is there a scenario where you can put enough around Baker that he can do, that he can give you good enough quarterback play? It doesn't have to be Joe Burrow, because again, that's, that guy's not there. They don't have that guy, period. But can you build enough around him for him to be I mean, I don't even know. What does he need to be, Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't know. What's what's the bar here?
2: There is a difference. I mean, it's like every sport. There's a difference between regular season and playoff stuff when it comes to this. And I think at his best, although – I mean, he – Baker Mayfield wasn't his best this year. Part of that was the injury. I think there were, but there were other things that also weren't good enough that I don't think were necessarily interrelated Baker at his best, I think can be the regular season quarterback that can get you in that position. I don't know if he, when you see what Joe Burrow did at the end of a game, and I don't want to get too hung up on late game drives, but I think it shows something it's indicative of something Make big time throws and big time moments, and not that Baker hasn't done that at times. He beat the Bengals in 2020 with a big time throw to Donovan Peoples Jones. We, we know, you know, we've seen it at times. That's where I have the question. I, at his very best, if you surround him with better pass catchers, I think he can be a quarterback that can get you in the playoffs. I and the Bengals aren't scoring 40 points a game in the playoffs, but Joe Burrow has made some plays at moments that I don't know, Mary Kay. I'm not a hundred percent sure that, that Baker even as best can do that.
0: Yeah. I think that, I think that's the whole key because when I think about, you know, Kareem hunt being back on the field and if the Browns had uh, the receiving core that the Bengals have and that some of these other teams have I do feel like they have the potential to be a much more explosive offense. And I think they can win a lot of games. And I think we saw that in 2020. We have seen flashes of Baker Mayfield being really, really good and dangerous and all those things that you need him to be. But I do think that there is another level you have to get to in the playoffs, especially now, because I think there is a renaissance in quarterback play in the NFL. I think the AFC quarterbacks are dynamite. And I think they're only getting better. I think that, uh, I think there's still upside for the Justin Herberts. I think there's still upside for, for Josh Allen. I think he started to take his game to a new level at the end of this season and in the playoffs. Uh, I think that, I mean, look, Joe Burrow is only in his second season and, uh, and uh, you know, he, he didn't even play a full season as a rookie. So I think that uh, he's going to get better. I think Lamar will be better. So I, I think the bar is set so incredibly high that, um, that, yes, I do think that Baker can win football games, and I still have visions in my mind of him, you know, play action, roll out, you know, you know foot in the, in the dirt, and release that ball with authority and confidence, and nail your man in one-on-one coverage, okay? I, I, I can see that in my mind, that he's very good at that. He was good in the red zone last year. And those are all things that you need to win games and get a team to the playoffs. But I do think to take it to that next level that you now do have to have exceptional, extraordinary ability to pull out those very, very close games. And some of it is just, you know, mobility in certain cases, right? I mean, some of it now is defenses, I think, are getting better to the point where teams have figured that that out, Okay. And we even heard Paul DePodesta talk about this. Not only do the Browns need to bring their passing game up to 2022 standards, but they also have to keep the their foot on the pedal as far as stopping or slowing down the explosive offenses that have hit the NFL. So I, I think that, um, you know, we are just in an era of better defenses now and you need to be so much better at quarterback whether it's taking it taking off and running or being able to squeeze the ball into a, into a tight window, whatever the case may be, you need elite level quarterback play now. And, uh, and the Browns did not have it last year. And, and here's the whole tricky part of it. We know it well, and we're going to be talking about it all the way until midway through next season when we have an answer. And that is, we just don't know. We don't know if, if Baker wasn't wasn't good this year because of the harness. We don't know if he would have been better if he would have had his own version of a Jamar Chase or a Justin Jefferson. Uh, Those are all things that uh, they're going to have to uh, hope that they have the right answers to those things as they move through the the acquisition cycle coming up here.
2: I do think as much as we like Burrow, and I took Burrow fourth in our quarterback draft, He's not perfect yet. He's young. He takes a lot of sacks. He throws a lot of picks and he did. He actually had some bad luck on picks this year. He didn't have a ton of like interceptable passes, but he still threw 14 picks. He threw 14 picks. Baker threw 13 picks. Burrow was sacked 3.2 times a game. Uh, Baker was sacked 3.1 times a game, but then Burrow's got the top end. That that was clear this year. He threw 34 touchdowns. Baker threw 17. Um, He threw for almost 300 yards per game. Baker threw for 220 or whatever it was. So, you don't have to be perfect and this is some of the gunslinger baker stuff that we i think when you like baker at his best you you like some of that stuff and you don't want him to play scared but you just don't want to throw four picks against green bay but like but you've got to you've got to pay it off right if you're gonna bet big you can't just crap out every time eventually you have to hit so like that's that's the question i burrow and he also his line stinks but burrow can overcome that sometimes with some of the top end plays and i still i am uncertain about baker's top end play balancing out his sacks and picks
1: so, some of it too is is matchup based as well so when we talk about is baker good enough like doug you mentioned it is baker good enough to get the browns to the playoffs you know you said yeah you can see that and we saw that in 2020 and then if those matchups shake out the right way it can play out in your favor i mean joe burrow only had to beat one elite quarterback to get to the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes had to go against Josh Allen and then he had to go against Joe Burrow. Now, that's not taking anything away from Burrow, right? I mean, he was incredible against the Titans when he was under siege. Uh, you know, they, they beat a, a Raiders team that was hot. But the reality is the Bengals did get some matchups in their favor. Whereas, you know, Josh Allen had to play Patrick Mahomes and then, you know, Mahomes had to play Allen and Burrow. So some of it is kind of luck too, in that regard of like, who do you play? How does the bracket shake out? Um, and and sometimes that works in your favor and sometimes it doesn't I think with Baker more than a guy like Burrow or some of these other guys we've mentioned that's a little more important too how does that bracket kind of shake out uh, if you do get to the playoffs
2: well but then the problem is again if if we're we're talking about the Bengals I mean there is a luck component in here that is not to take away from the Bengals at all this is not the luck podcast but Look at the way the Chiefs played down the stretch against the Browns in the playoffs last year and the way the Chiefs played when Patrick against the Bengals this year when Patrick Mahomes just running backwards 20 yards for no apparent reason at times. And it's like, what are you doing? There's some stuff that you can get into luck and circumstance and seizing the moment that is very, very real. But if we're talking about a bigger quarterback picture, as Mary Kay said, well, yeah, maybe you won't have to go through a bunch of great quarterbacks or maybe you'll have to go through... Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, like, Sean Watson, whatever. It's just, and there's more coming. It feels like there's more every year. Malik Willis is probably going to wind up a Steeler and get ready for twenty years of that. I know Mary Kay fell in love with Malik Willis, down. Well, He's, uh, but anyway, like I just, I, I yes, but you know, you're going to have to beat at least one, probably two great QBs in the playoff. And and Mary
1: Kate, to that point, I I would say, like, look, the Browns, the Browns got some luck in 2020 when Patrick Mahomes left that game midway through the third quarter. I mean, luck is a part of football. Tom Brady, we can go through his career and point to a whole bunch of lucky opportunities. But the point is, because he's Tom Brady, he put himself in position where he was able to take advantage of those over and over. Like, you kind of create and are able to take advantage of those opportunities because you're a great quarterback, because you have that high-level quarterback. It just increases the amount of opportunity. I guess is how I would put it.
0: Yes, absolutely. You are so right about the fact that, uh, that luck plays a huge part in this. When I think back to the Kansas City Bengals game that enabled the Bengals to go ahead and clinch the AFC North, think about that weird sequence at the very end of the game uh, with the penalty there on the Chiefs. That was the difference between winning and losing that game. If that goes a different way, then the Bengals probably are not in the Super Bowl right now. That weird penalty right there, that's the razor-thin margin between winning and losing and success and Super Bowls. Talk about luck. How about 13 seconds left to close out a football game and it doesn't happen, right? I mean, that is incredibly improbable. So you definitely need to have some luck. Along the way, but you don't want to have to rely on that. And therefore, uh, you need the two things that you have to have nowadays are elite quarterback play, in my opinion, and some really, really good receivers. There has to be a connection where you've got touchdown passes, you've got to have a battery going on, you've got to have, uh, you know, Joe Burrow to Jamar chase 13 touchdowns. I mean, that's going to get, you have to be able to score the football. And I think the Browns can do that. And I think they can do it with Baker Mayfield. And it's just, it really is a difficult decision to figure out if he then can get you where you need to go. And I think that five, six, seven years ago, he might've been enough. He might have been enough to get you to the promised land now. I am not so sure. And that is because of uh, these amazing young quarterbacks that we're talking about and not just regular, like really good passers, pocket passers, but there's the whole element of the running dual threat quarterback and how they can change things up and, and beat, you know, beat the system. I mean, if you, if you try to hem them in, it's not going to work. They're going to escape. They're going to get out of there. They're going to make the play. As you talked about Doug I saw some things from Malik Willis that I liked, and he's very raw. Like, I, I don't think the Browns should take him at number 13 and start him this coming year. I don't think that's what the situation is. But he, he displayed those very dangerous and devastating arm angles that you can throw at. And when you've got an, an enormous defender bearing down on you in, in today's game, I think teams have really figured out, you've got to rush the passer. You've got to get to the quarterback, and you've got to mess him up. Well, those arm angles that Patrick has, and now Malik's going to have, uh, and Lamar, the, all the different things that he can do, uh, all of those things are going to be necessary, in my opinion, going forward, if you want to get to the next level and you want to get to the Super Bowl.
2: And Burrow's a better athlete than Baker, I think. Burrow's not a phenomenal athlete, but Burrow, I think his pocket presence is really something. And there, there were times more than a few times this year with baker where and we've seen it at times in his career where he seems to get happy feet and you're not sure why and his footwork gets off and he winds up getting off platform when he maybe doesn't need to be and again how much of that was tied to being nervous about trying to protect the shoulder i want to make sure i don't get hit so all of a sudden i think it was i think it was one of the picks against the packers where he just he was in the pocket and he just got completely like leaning backward and it's like that is not it But if that's primarily injury related, okay, then like show that pocket presence, run when you've got to run. And there's a version, there's a version of Baker that I think is in Burrow range, right? Because again, Burrow is not Josh Allen and Burrow is not Malik Willis and Burrow is not Lamar Jackson, but the things he does, he does very well.
1: I mean, athletically, maybe, I don't know, you know, let's not lose sight of the fact that Burrow threw for 4,600 yards and completed 70% of his passes. Um, But but I do want to say, like, Doug, to that point, like, you know, so the Browns have the ball against the Chiefs in the divisional round. Chris Jones just destroys Wyatt Teller. And all Baker can really do is dump off to Kareem Hunt. Well, and then we see in the AFC Championship game, Joe Burrow has that ability with two guys, kind of that Big Ben ability with two guys hanging on him to somehow get away and make a play. And that that's just something we haven't consistently seen because Baker is smaller. Yep. That's something you just don't have um, in him. Okay. So there's two areas, right, on these teams where one team is very clearly ahead of the other. For the Bengals, it's the wide receiver four. For the Browns, it's the offensive line. Doug, you get to play GM, Mary Kay, you're gonna get to play GM too and answer this question. Duke Tobin is sitting around this offseason, he's bored out of his mind. He's feeling himself. He's got nothing better to do. He calls you up and he says, Hey, I, I got a crazy proposal for you. Do you want to trade your offensive line for my wide receivers?
2: I would so rent. Recommend- what
1: I'm asking is, would you rather have the Bengals wide receivers or the Browns offensive line?
2: I would rent a cargo van. I would tell Joel Batonio and Wyatt Teller and Jack Conklin and Jedrick Wills and JC tredder that we're going to Applebee's. And then instead of going to Applebee's, I would drive to Cincinnati and leave them there and come back with Jamar Chase, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. (laughs) That's awesome. Now you still have Baker Baker's still your quarterback. I would then stop with Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd and T Higgins, and I would take them to Applebee's. And I would say, (laughs) I'm so happy that you're here would you please combine for uh, 3,500 receiving yards and 24 touchdowns or whatever, what, 222 catches like you did this season because you cannot win in the league if you don't have receivers?
0: You know, I think it's so remarkable that Joe Burrow was able to accomplish what he did this year with a porous offensive line. He was sacked 51 times this season which was more than any other quarterback in the NFL this year, and generally, if you're getting sacked 50 times, you're getting hurt, and you're you're going to be so beat up that you're not going to survive very long. Tim Couch used to get sacked 50 plus times a season. That's not okay. You cannot let that happen. Um, so I actually think that I would rather build through the offensive line first, and I I think it's probably easier to find some good pass catchers. So I think I would stick with the offensive line. It's really hard. I've, I lived through a lot of years on this football team where the offensive line wasn't good. And yes, you do need a better offensive line when you have a quarterback that's not mobile like Baker. But, um, but I still think it's so vitally important to have, to have that. It, it's a, it's a great question, Dan, because I do think in today's NFL that the quarterback to receiver combo thing is um, it's going to get you there it's what it's what you need it's it's Patrick Mahomes to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey you know it's it's Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase but um, I don't know there's something about an offensive line that I think is going to hold up and stand the test of time
1: so there's something interesting here though there's kind of a contrast that's really interesting here that I kind of didn't realize but now I, I sort of do the Bengals, first of all, the Bengals are like one of the most unconventional teams out there. Some people might use the word cheap. I'll say unconventional. They have like eight, eight people in their personnel department. It's like the, small, the smallest personnel department in football. And last year, they had a choice, right? Take a tackle or take Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle. And everybody was saying, "Take a tackle. You got to protect Joe Burrow. Take a tackle." And they decided to take Jamar Chase, and that kind of took a good receiving core and made it great, and really probably helped Joe Burrow become a guy who, in year two, could throw for forty-six hundred yards, and complete seventy percent of his passes. In twenty twenty, the Browns, right, take your left tackle. Go get Jedrick Wills. It's common sense. That's what you have to do. A couple guys went after Jedrick Wills that were interesting. Now one. His situation has changed dramatically, and, and that's Henry Ruggs. CeeDee Lamb went to the Cowboys at, uh, where, did we, where did I have that? Did I write that down? CeeDee Lamb went, I didn't write the spot, but I think it was like 15 or 16, somewhere in that range, maybe 17. The Browns sort of had that choice in front of them too, and, and I just think it's an interesting contrast. Now, the process was probably pretty sound. You go get your left tackle. You think he's going to be your guy for the next 10 years. If Jed Wills ends up not working out, that's kind of different, but how, how would you guys have felt in hindsight? Now, had the Browns gone after a playmaker like the Bengals did?
2: I would have criticized it at the time and loved it now. Is that <laughs> am I, is that uh, not fair to do it that way? But, I mean, that's that's how we talk about this stuff, right? I mean, I, you have to talk about the result too. We were all in on the tackle. I mean, that was there. It was like it was which tackle. But every single person in the NFL and in, and in Cleveland knew the Browns had to take a left tackle there, and it is—I guess—it's slightly different that it's a left tackle and it's not any other spot in the offensive line. But the comparison to taking Chase instead of Penae Sewell, I think, is an apt one. And the, the Browns—the Browns have not drafted a receiver in the first or second round since Corey Coleman in 2016. Odell was basically a first-round pick because they traded a first-round pick to get him, but. 46 receivers have gone in the first or second round in the last two drafts excuse me in the last five drafts in the last five years since so 17 18 19 2021, 20, since the coleman pick in 2016 46 so that's you know one and a half per team and the Bengals have taken three in there because john ross was a first round pick and bombed didn't work at all and they kept firing t higgins first pick in the second round jamar chase top five and they took Tyler Boyd uh, six years ago in the second round. So they have a first round receiver and two second round receivers. And the Browns like have not invested draft capital in that position. And they are at the point where now they have waited too long. Like they've gone too far that way. And I'm not saying they didn't have other needs they needed to fill. But I like right now, and then it's not Jed Wills' fault that he was hurt this year. And he was pretty good as a rookie. He wasn't spectacular, but he was pretty good. He settled that position down. He held would, you, would you trade Jed Wills for C.D. Lamb? Yes. So would I. Mm-hmm. And Mary I have Kay no idea. I don't know who the left tackle would be, but I'd rather go, Mary Kay said, you said you'd rather have great offensive linemen and then find a pass catcher. I would much rather know I have great pass catchers and then try to find a Wyatt Teller. Or draft, I mean, you they, starting offensive linemen get drafted in the fourth and fifth round all the time. I, I think it's easier actually to find linemen than it is to find really difference-making receivers. But you have also watched quarterbacks in Cleveland get steamrolled for 20 years because the offensive line sucked so you might be right
0: well you know I mean I guess I look at it this way uh, you know Joe Burrow suffered a torn ACL last year and you could have an investment in a quarterback like that and if you can't keep him healthy that's it's a it's a dangerous proposition but I agree with you 100 percent. I am all about uh taking a really really good receiver very very high because I can see I've seen how it can transform a team What I would have done in 2020 is, and I've stated this and wrote it, so I'm not saying it in hindsight, uh, I would have signed Trent Williams. I I would have gone out and I I would have signed him and, you know, Bill Callahan coached him in Washington and I know he would have cost some money, uh, but I would have done that and I would have left that first round pick open for a receiver, perhaps right? That's probably what I would have done there. If you can get your great player in some other way, then do it and leave it open for, you know, a position where, you know, you might not be able to get that in in free agency. So yeah, I I would have been all about that. And And I think what the Browns did was it wasn't that they were overlooking the receiver position. It's that they invested a lot of draft capital In trades and money, I mean, they spent a lot of money on the receiver position and had a lot of money tied up in it this year and last year right and supposedly they were going to have it tied up in it again next year at another $31 million just for your top two receivers. So it's not like they ignored the position, they just ignored the position with their high draft picks and that was a mis I think that was a mistake, but they didn't have a whole lot of choice because they were kind of locked in from a financial standpoint, uh, with things that had happened with the previous regime. So Andrew Barry, really, he inherited Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. and their contracts and their situations and their baggage and everything else. They inherited that and they really couldn't do anything with it. They were kind of stuck, in part because um, Odell Beckham Jr., they, they would have traded him last offseason 100 percent, they would have traded him last offseason they i think they could see the writing on the wall and, but they couldn't do it because he was coming off of an acl and uh there were no takers so they they were basically stuck had they been able to do that perhaps their draft strategy i know their draft strategy would have changed they would have probably gone higher at wide receiver maybe they don't go back to back defense first round second round so uh, I think they felt like they could, hey, look, we're just going to get one more year out of the, these two guys and, you know, see where it takes us. And it was a colossal failure, basically.
2: I think that's Very, well stated because it's unfair to say It it's not that you're right. They didn't ignore the position. And a year ago, you know, I mean, they're certainly could have worked out that obj and jarvis lander if they're both healthy and then they're top two receivers that's not crazy to try to lean on those guys but it leads me like to now it's like every time i see a mock draft where the browns are staying at 13 and taking a position that's not receiver i just think what are you doing why why would they oh well you could take an edge rusher we got to replace it's like they don't have anyone to throw the ball to And I have very, very, very much come around on the idea of drafting a receiver is infinitely better than signing a receiver in free agency or getting one in a trade because you want to mold him in your offense. And you want him to be bought into how you throw the ball from day one. And if you catch a guy way on the back end and A.J. Green or Julio Jones like way on the back end as a vet, fine, great. But like the Odell thing, even the Jarvis thing of Jarvis has worked out that like that can't be how they get a number one receiver. They need to draft and develop their number one offensive threat. And like, it blows my mind. And if they don't do it in April, I'm going to go bonkers because I just, how could there be another position for this team in the league in general with where the league is going, but especially for this team, how could there be any position where that player is going to give you the kind of value that a true number one receiver would give this quarterback, this offense, this coach, and this team.
1: Do do you guys want the ugly list for the, I'll I'll give you the Bengals list, right? This is how the Bengals have built their weapons. Going back to 2015. I'm going to go all the way back to CJ. Uzamo, who's a good tight end. He's a decent tight end. Uh, 2015 Tyler Boyd, second round, 2016, Joe Mixon, second round, 2017 T Higgins, uh, First pick in the second round after they took Joe Burrow, number one overall in 2020, Jamar Chase in 2021. And Doug, you mentioned the John Ross pick, one pick ahead of Patrick Mahomes. They took John Ross. So that that was a gigantic mess that they've they've obviously since recovered from. But you can see they've invested pretty high picks. Now Zama doesn't really count. He was like a fifth round pick, I think. But in receiver, you're looking at second round, first round, and then they used a second rounder uh, on Mixon, who was a first round talent, but of course had issues. For the Browns, this is ugly. Vincent Maley in the fourth round, I believe, in 2015. 2016, it was Corey Coleman in the first round, then Ricardo Lewis, Jordan Payton, Rashard Higgins, and then they also drafted Seth DeValve at tight end. Uh, they traded up for Najoku in 2017, but didn't really do much else on the offensive playmaker front. You had Nick Chubb in 2018, so there's your, there's your mix-and-pick right there. But that was also the draft when they took Austin Corbett, at 33. So you, maybe you could have taken Nick Chubb at 33 and gotten Cortland Sutton at 40. Instead, they added Antonio Callaway and Damian Ratley later in the draft. Uh, Grady Williams, five picks before A.J. Brown. Uh, and then, of course, we talked about Wills going ahead of C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy. Grant Talpit. right? Again, another common sense pick. Can you argue with Grant Talpit He's going to be a starter in 2022. Chase Claypool went five picks later. So somewhere you've got to find, you've got to say to yourself, yes, maybe we need this. And it's all kind of lined up because they need a wide receiver now. So this might all be a moot point. But it sort of has been just years and years of like, oh, we have to get this in the first round. And so we can't take any of these elite receivers.
0: And you know, the other thing, real quick, is that it, when you rattle that stuff off, Dan, it reminds me of the lack of continuity in the front office. That's true. So it's not like there has been a uh, you know, a six-year plan where, you know, we are going to restock this offense and we're going to go with this plan and these receivers. <laughs> and you're, you're taught, you just spanned um, three general managers right there, right? Uh, three? Four. Or four. Was it four? Farmer,
1: okay. Sashi Brown.
0: Oh yeah, okay. Dorsey
1: and, uh, and yeah, Andrew Berry. Yeah,
0: so you spanned four general managers. <laughs> Therein lies the problem. Right. And as I mentioned before, it's not like they like, it's not like Andrew Barry came in here and didn't realize that you needed good receivers to run today's explosive offense is that he was stuck. I mean, he was pretty much stuck with some things that he had, and he didn't feel super stuck with Jarvis probably, although uh, you know, it's debatable. I mean, maybe he would have ushered both of those guys out and tried something new if he could have, but um But it's just, it's a function of lack of continuity in the front office, bad drafting in some cases, really bad drafting in some cases, um, and just no sound continuity and philosophy. And I think those days are over. I mean, I think they get it now. And Doug, I have to agree with you. There's very little that I can see happening with number 13 that would make sense. And there there are only two things that I could see happening. Use that pick to get yourself a veteran quarterback who's going to change the game for you or use that pick on a really good developmental quarterback who you think can be your quarterback of the future. Those are the only two reasons why I'm not going franchise receiver at number 13.
2: And I almost, I I don't want to say I feel bad for the Browns. It's like they went about it the right way. They're like, "Well, we got to build this team from the ground up. Okay, we're going to do the offensive line, then we're going to revamp the defense." And it's like, it's like you're, you're eating your vegetables. Nobody likes drafting offensive linemen and spending money on guards. That's not fun. But you're eating your vegetables because, man, receivers, that's eating candy. And the Bengals, like you said, Dan, they're like six people in the room. Like, I don't know you guys want to draft. It's like, well, <laughs> I was watching YouTube video of this guy catching a touchdown. He seems good. They're like, take the receiver. And then you find out that candy has nutritional value and all those vegetables are wasted calories. So I look where the Browns are like, we're screaming, why don't you take more of the fun guys quit taking defensive players and offensive linemen. They were trying to be responsible and the Bengals are down there having a, having an eight person draft party every day, <laughs> taking a receiver in the first round every year. And it worked. I'm and sure Andrew Barry is like, I can't believe this. I can't believe it worked. But it's time for the Browns to party. Take a receiver
1: 13. Yeah, first and second round picks throughout. Now, you know, we should say that part of this too is the Odell Beckham trade just didn't work out, right? I mean, they did use the 17th pick in the draft to acquire Odell Beckham and that trade. Yeah. It just didn't work. If that trade works, then this is a different discussion. Um, and, and it was certainly something that everybody was excited about um, at, at the time. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you just got to use the cheat code. You know, it, instead of playing the game level by level, sometimes it's okay to put in that cheat code and jump ahead a little bit. And if you can't do it at quarterback, go get go get your receiver, go get a Jamar Chase and, and take that chance and take that criticism. Okay, so how many new receivers do you think this, t- like, I'm not talking like little tiny signings here or there. I'm talking like, let's say the Browns signed a big free agent, Use the number 13 pick in the draft on a receiver and then picked a guy on day three. Does that sound right? I know you guys both kind of said that you'd rather just draft a guy, but I I'm all for like, I don't know if Chris Godwin wants to come here and you want to draft Drake London or Garrett Wilson or whoever, and then pick somebody on day three, I'd be all for that. I think that's when we talk about closing the gap on the Bengals and this is the area. That's why we're spending so much time on it. Aside from quarterback, this is the area where you've got to close the gap. Mm-hmm. I think this is your year where you kind of get to, I guess, use that cheat code a little bit because you are stable in a lot of other areas. So what the heck let's, let's go get those. Let's get those receivers now. Any way we can. That's how I would approach it.
0: Yeah. They need to catch up. They need three. They need three really good receivers. They need their X. They need their number one receiver. You need that guy. You need your Garrett Wilson who Doug has been uh, touting all of these months. You need that guy. And, um, then I would go ahead and get a, a, get a Chris Godwin. I think that wide receiver is one place in free agency where it usually works out pretty well for the most part. You can take a guy that had a pretty good career somewhere and plug him in here, and it's usually going to go okay for the most part, okay? I mean, if you do that right, you can, you can make the uh, transition. So I would go ahead and I I would sign a really, really good surefire Pro Bowl type caliber receiver. And then I probably would come back uh, in in the third round and grab another really good receiver. And this is where you're going to have to earn your draft money. This is where the personnel department is going to have to be really, really good and come up with uh, a gem in the third round because it starts to get a little tougher then, but it's a pretty deep receiver class, and I think that you can find people back there, because at this point, uh, whatever you get out of Donovan Peoples Jones and Anthony Schwartz, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a bonus. Those are going to be your complimentary what? pieces.
2: He was just a third round pick last year. We've had ten thousand Anthony Schwartz conversation on this podcast. You can't bail on Anthony Schwartz.
0: Well, I'm I not I, can. I can
2: I bailed by the way, but you but, can. But, Doug bailed like the night they made the pick. I know.
0: (laughs) I think the upside, I still think the upside is there, but they're past the point of being able to hope for anything at the receiver position. They cannot be hopeful. They need some sure bets as best they can get them. Now, there's another player that I am a little bit intrigued by, and that is Calvin Ridley, uh, former 1,000-yard receiver from the Falcons, who probably will be on the trading block, but he did step away former first round pick, he did step away from football last year to work on his mental wellness. And I think the Browns have to be careful about that. And I, I believe they pride themselves on being a team that can bring a player that has issues like that into uh, their excellent environment and support him and, and surround him with the kind of people that will help him. But they're also coming off a Malik McDowell situation. So they have to be really, really careful about taking those kinds of chances but if they do their due diligence and Calvin Ridley seems like maybe he just more so needed a change of scenery and he had worn out his welcome a little bit in Atlanta, maybe he's somebody worth, worth taking a chance on.
1: I kind of put that in the free agency bucket, like either sign a guy or, or make a, a big trade for a guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm
2: all in on this. I mean, like they've got to draft a receiver at 13, and then to have their number two receiver be some a, a more veteran guy that they acquire one way or the other, I'm all in on. I'm actually okay with Donovan Peoples-Jones as number three, and Anthony Schwartz as number four. So if it's just those top two guys, but I mean, just. all. You know what? You know what? Just like a 1,500-yard receiver and a 1,200-yard receiver. Is that That's all. Not too much to ask. But that, I, and I do think, and I think, are we in agreement on this? That is transformational. Oh yeah. That is snap your fingers. There is not development. There is not waiting. There is not, Oh, we got to wait for the guy to learn his routes. Like that is week one. This offense has transformed. And, and that's, that's the good thing about it because I mean, I don't, you don't want to act like it's too easy, but, Jamar Chase was rookie and T Higgins is a second year guy and they were awesome. And that was it. And away they go. So like, I think you said that Dan, like they can, the Browns can catch up really quickly. And I do think they have multiple options at 13 Garrett Wilson, Drake London, Traylon Burks in that order for me are the guys. And at least two of them, I think will be there at the very least. One of those three will be there. And I all think they are day one, number one receiver type starters. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like I, I would probably flip it a little bit. I, I kind of like Drake London right now that might change over the course of the next few months, but like, that's, that's a guy that I like there, but if it's Garrett Wilson, great. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. If it's perks. great. Like, I don't care if it's one of those guys, I'm in. It's, it almost the, feels like the left tackle position a few years ago.
0: I use the example of uh, back when uh, Derek Anderson and Braylon Edwards connected for 16 touchdowns that year. It makes all the difference in the world when you have a battery like that. They won ten games. I mean, when you're scoring the football like that, it that's where it's at, and that is exactly where the Browns need to get to. Who would Joe Burrow be necessarily without Jamar Chase? He might not be Joe Cool. He might not. Be, he probably would not be in the Super Bowl right now. So it's vitally, vitally important. I mean, where, where's Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill? Tyreek Hill's amazing. So yeah. it's important and and they need to get it right.
1: Yeah. So I I guess to me, that's sort of like every place else. I mean, we talked about quarterback, we talked about receiver. We talked about offensive line. These teams are pretty much, I mean, running backs, right. The Browns are better, but Joe Mixon is pretty good. Right. I mean, they're leading rusher in the league, tight end. The Browns use more of them. We're talking about different offensive schemes. The Browns use more of them. Zama and Najoku were pretty much equal statistically this year. Najoku probably Najoku has more upside everything else feels even so like if the Bengals fix their offensive line and the Browns fix receiver is this just going to come down to like can the Browns defense shut down Joe Burrow this is this offensive discussion Mary-Kate does it just come down to what the Browns defense can do against Joe Burrow
0: no I still think it's uh quarterback driven I I still think that even if the Browns add those receivers in that they're still going to have to find out if their quarterback can get the job done because you know he did have at various points uh odell beckham jr jarvis landry austin hooper david njoku donovan peoples jones and we were calling it pick your poison and all that kind of thing so um so i still think that there would be that question that would have to be answered
2: When I did, I did like a position comparison on both sides of the ball. I gave, I said the Browns were better at six offensive spots, four offensive line spots, tight end and running back. I called the left tackle a tie because I think Jonah Williams had a better year this year, but Jedrick Wills was good enough. Like I think they're both solid, good left tackles when they're healthy. And then I gave the Bengals four, they gave them the three receiver spots and the quarterback. Um, and, And it goes back to the thing it's, it's hard because, we don't only want to talk about the bigger Mayfield situation every time on this podcast for the whole podcast. And it, we don't want that to be every single story that we write, but, <laughs> but it's kind of the whole thing. <laughs> like, it's kind of the whole thing. I mean, like, it's like, we can talk all around it. It'd be like, man, if they could just get a second receiver, Chris God, would still the quarterback's got to be better. is it? So it, it does go back to that Mary Kay, because I wrote in the thing, I, th- I mean, I think you could argue for as good, all these things the Bengals do on well the Browns do. Well, if you just flip Baker Mayfield and Joe Burrow this year, just trade teams mm-hmm. are the Browns are the Browns in the Super Bowl? Maybe with their middling receivers, but this great offensive line and a pretty good defense, I think you could make the case. Like as much as we say, Hey, what would Joe Burrow be without Jamar Chase? It's like, well, you put him behind a wall of, a, of an offensive line where he's going to have all day, you know? So like on, on one hand, it kind of does come down to that, but I do think it's, I think it is it is a quick flip in a lot of ways, but your quarterback still has to
0: be really good. I was going to say the quarterback in some cases, and this is the what we need to get the answer to. Your quarterback can elevate the play of those around him, right? Some in some instances, it's going to be the receiver is just amazing and he's going to go out there and make plays. But in other instances, uh, it's going to be ball placement on on the part of the quarterback. It is going to be. Um, you know, how quickly he gets the ball out so that the defender can't make the play on it before the offensive guy can. Uh, So some of that comes down to the quarterback. So we do have to wonder, would Joe Burrow have made Austin Hooper better and Jarvis Landry better this year and Odell Beckham Jr. better and maybe even Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz? Maybe those guys are better than we think they are or maybe they're just what we think they are and baker didn't have enough to work with so it's it's tough but we will find out
1: right if joe is the quarterback of this team is odell beckham jr still a cleveland brown <laughs> that's did he
2: get asked that on the zoom this week joe <laughs> if you odell would you have stepped oh well
0: no Doug, yeah. we didn't get to ask odell anything I on this yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's a podcast for another day it's well, funny can... i actually
2: saw that I, I saw like the the giants columnists were complaining about it too that the new york people didn't get called on either so
0: oh they didn't oh i didn't <laughs> oh, know I, that I oh that's that. funny
2: so all la baby oh, past, the past is the past
0: yeah <laughs>
1: All right, there we go. Our uh, our Bengals-Browns offensive comparison. This, of course, is all part of our Earning Their Stripes series. Uh, you can read the stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. We're going to do another podcast coming back uh, tomorrow looking at the defenses on both sides of the ball. So I'm very interested to kind of compare those two units uh, as well. And again, we'll have a story to go with that all throughout the week. And then, by the way, this is sort of Browns-Bengals related, and I'm really curious about this. At the end of the week, we're going to do our coach draft again. Which I'm, I really want to know where Zach Taylor ends up. I think we had some things to say about Zach Taylor last year. And I'm very curious to see where he ends up. And of course, where Kevin Stefanski ends up as well. I I would have said, I I
2: would have thought Zach Taylor was like 10 times more likely to get fired this season than to make the (laughs) Super Bowl. Like that, that part of it is very surprising to me. Let
1: you know, you know what, one more quick question here, play caller wise. And does Zach Taylor call the plays or is it, it, uh, is it Callahan? Whatever. He has been a play caller. Which offensive coach right now do you have the most confidence in? Stefanski or Zach Taylor?
2: I like play callers who use their receivers, man. I mean, I, I I get It's like, well, why, but the Browns, the Browns didn't get the ball to receivers this year and the Bengals did. And they were able to make plays out of that. So, um, I guess I liked how the Bengals called it more. And I have some question as we're talking, I do have some question. I, I don't know. I, I think people listening to this would have the same question. If the Browns do draft a receiver in the first round and sign a veteran, are they going to use them? Are they going to, are they going to maximize their talent and maximize the capital you spend on them in the kind of offense that Kevin Stefanski plays? I, I, I don't know. I don't know for a hundred percent sure certainty that the answer to that is yes. So, I don't know if I'd take either of them super high in a play caller draft, but I guess maybe I'd take the Bengals.
0: You know, I'm going to say yes uh, on that Kevin Stefanski question. Will he utilize his receivers? Because he hasn't been an offensive coordinator long enough and a play caller long enough to be super set in his ways. I think last year, I really do believe that last year was more a function of uh, that. He called the game the way that he felt he needed to based on the performance of his quarterback and the absence of Odell at a certain point. And I just don't think that he is, uh, can be fit into uh, a paradigm or a certain category. I think that he will, I think he will go with what's going to score him some points. And uh, if he has three great receivers, he will use them.
1: It's interesting because I think Kevin was probably a little overprotective of his quarterback this year and there are people who will make the case that Zach Taylor was not protective enough of his quarterback and kind of left him out to dry uh, with, with the way he called plays and, and schemed things up. So uh, a good contrast there. We'll discuss this a little more, I guess, on uh, on Friday's pod. All right. Uh, Mary Kane Doug, thanks for the time.